0: So, you have created a culture, whether you've meant to or not, that is so centered on you as the worship leader, you who book the team, you who plan the songs, you who lead the people, and everybody else is just there kind of playing second fiddle in your orchestra. The challenge with that is that no one gets that excited about something that they're not an owner in.
1: Hey guys, this is Matt McCoy with Loop Community. You know, when I first started using tracks in worship, It was so helpful that I was able to sit down with somebody who knew what they were doing and for them to walk me through how to actually do that. I remember being a little afraid and intimidated by it because I didn't know what in the world I was doing and I didn't want to take away from worship leading to start focusing on technology. Well, it helps to learn from people who know what they're doing. We are gonna be a part of a conference called the Worship Innovators Conference. It's a brand new conference that is taking place in Chicago June 8 and 9. And what's different about this conference is that it's gonna be led and run by the leading and best worship companies there are today. So companies like Worship Artistry, Praise Charts, Planning Center, Worship Tutorials, OnSong, Churchfront, the list goes on and on and on. These people are all gonna be at the conference and they're gonna be teaching classes and giving inspiring talks about how to use technology in worship. You do not wanna miss this event. Coming out with us, reserve your ticket today at worshipinnovators.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Loop Community Podcast. Today, we are talking with Tony Sorrentino. He's a worship leader here in Chicago at Willow Creek Church. He's also a life coach, and he's going to be talking with Matt McCoy about shifting an unhealthy worship culture. So whether you're a worship leader or worship pastor at a new church that has an unhealthy culture, or if your culture at your church has started to go that way— they're going to talk about how you can shift it to be a healthy worship team. They're also going to be talking about the different types of worship leaders that there are and how to lead those different types. So, check out our interview with Tony Sorrentino. Tony, what's up, man? Welcome to the Luke Community Podcast. It's
0: good to be here, Matt. Thanks man. for having me on.
1: We go way back. Worship leaders <laughs> from Willow Creek. Yep. Both of us led worship at Willow. You still lead worship yep. at Willow.
0: I do. Yeah. About once a month. I'm not in full-time vocational ministry anymore, um, right. but yeah, still involved in serving at different churches. One of them is the campus of Willow pretty often. So That's yeah, awesome. still, still there.
1: And then as well as leading worship, you're also a life coach. So tell us about that a little bit. Like, what does a life coach do?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, specifically, my my role or my title is that I am a life plan guide. So life plan is this two-day guided experience that you go through with a guide like me or with someone else who's been certified to do it. And I work with people who are asking questions that a lot of us ask, like, um, am I in the right job? What's my purpose? Uh, something's off going on in my life, but I'm not totally sure what. Uh, what's the right next step towards my goal, those kind of questions. And... How I would frame it is that a lot of us try to answer those questions by taking a personality assessment or talking to a friend, talking to a mentor, and those are really helpful steps, but at least for me, and I think for a lot of other people, life moves at such a fast pace that all of those inputs can just feel like they're adding to the noise. And so what life plan is, what I do as a life plan guide is I invite people into a two-day process that's really about slowing down and gaining perspective and kind of looking for the clues that ultimately lead people to breakthrough. So it starts with, hey, where are you at today? What's going on? How'd you get here? Where are you at really? That's a big thing. A lot of people, you ask me at a party, how you doing? I'll give you some answer. Yeah. If you can really slow down enough to go, what's going on for real? And then moving into where do you want to be and what's, what's the right steps to connect the dots? Wow. Um, and so at, at the root of that is really about um, why are you here? What is your purpose? And uh, it's kind of interesting because obviously we mentioned the Willow connection, the the worship leading connection still involved in doing that. And some of this for me overlaps in some really cool ways where I realized that the way that I was leading worship was, I think, different in some ways than other worship leaders I was seeing, not better or worse. Just I I became aware that um, not all worship leaders are identical in their approach,
1: yeah. And I started noticing
0: for me that the way that I was leading worship was less about exhortation, less about challenge. It was more about guiding people with questions. And that was one of the first things that tipped me off to go, hey, I think that there's another play that I can make in addition to leading people in worship, which is I, I love to guide people with questions. I love to ask great questions. And I started thinking about that through the lens of I wonder if that could be helpful for other worship leaders to have more clarity on. How can I make my best contribution? Why why am I specifically here? Yes, we're all standing on stage with guitars or microphones or pianos or whatever we do, but those are just the tools that we're using. What are we actually doing? Yeah, um, and so those are some of the questions that I try to answer and help people with. As a, I I wouldn't call myself a life coach. I feel like that might have a stigma. I don't know. I don't know what. You, but uh, a life plan guide. A Life that's, plan. That's guide. what we try to do. Got yeah. it. That's right. Yeah.
1: So yeah, that's an interesting thought that there's different types of worship leaders. And it makes me like, just think through like, what is, like the you know, like there's the worship leader who's like super like cheerleader, like hip, hip, yeah. hurrah, like jumping up and down and, you know, and then there's like the worship leader who just like stands there very still and closes their eyes. Yeah. Acknowledges nobody. <laughs> totally. And then there's a the worship leader who talks more than they sing. Yeah, totally. What other yeah. types of worship leaders are there at do you think?
0: well, it's you know it's interesting you asked that I think maybe at some future point it would be cool to develop almost archetypes of worship leaders that you know will create some cool quiz online that you can take. That doesn't exist yet, but at yeah. least as I've been thinking about it. A couple that jump out to me are some are teachers. Those might be the ones that talk more than they sing. I don't actually think that that's necessarily wrong, as long as it's clear and that's what you're doing, and here's what it's really good for, and here's what it's not that good for. Yeah. So I know my play. Um, I think other types that jump out are, uh, I think some worship leaders are challengers, like "Come on, guys, we've got to go," and here's who God is, and here's why He's worth it. Um, some I think are prophets, kind of speaking into, confronting. Um, some I think are like the artists, the poets, the storytellers, where the way that they're leading us is most specifically in the beauty of their song. I think of some worship leaders even that are just just practically super gifted with an amazing voice, and other worship leaders that aren't. And I go, what does that say about how you might best lead worship? I've been led in worship powerfully by people not great singers. Yeah. But that's not that's not what matters. And at the same time I've also been inspired and moved to worship by people who are incredible singers. So I think it's kind of this question, like, what are you wired up with? What did God put in you? And how does that give us a clue about what your unique play might be in leading the people of God in worship?
1: Yeah. That, and that's a very important thing, I think, for people to even just have like a good idea of their own kind of sensibilities, their own personalities, yeah. why they do what they do. What, right. what are their driving motivations? And I think also like when you're thinking about like a worship leader leading a team of people, like yep. everybody on your team also has, like every drummer is not the same either. You know, yeah, bass players correct. are all different and guitar plays are all different. And how are you relating to them? How are you building a team? What kind of culture are you creating with your team? And that's actually one of the subjects I want to talk with you about too is, you know, this this idea of team culture. And yep. I know there's a lot of worship leaders who struggle with teams who maybe just, it's just like, why is the culture not there? Like, why do I not have a commitment Like, why why, why does my team seem uncommitted, like not on fire, like Mm -hmm. I am for this? Like, how do I get everybody on the same page? Why do you think there's a lack of commitment within worship teams sometimes?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think lack of commitment can be for a lot of different reasons, right? And every situation is different. But at least in my experience, I think that a lack of commitment is generally a result of a lack of something else that the worship leader can help provide, right? We can't take responsibility for everyone's level of commitment. But if you're noticing pervasively in your culture, people just aren't bought in. Craig Rochelle talks on one of his podcasts about the idea of, um, we've eliminated the phrase, our people just won't. And we've replaced it with the phrase, we haven't let our people to." And I think that that's a really helpful mindset shift to go, hey, if people aren't committed, how do you look in the mirror and go, what am I not providing? Yeah. What have I not given people? And I think it's really easy a lot of times. I, I've certainly done it myself for a worship leader to look around at the team and go, what's wrong with you guys? Or frankly, to look around at the congregation and go, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah, and I think it's a really helpful flip to go, hey, what am I, what am I not doing? What's yeah. needed here?
1: So you would so, say that this kind of falls on the leader.
0: Yeah, I think it does. I think the role of the leader is to set culture. And I think, again, the question you asked on why is there a lack of commitment, I think for me, there's probably three big things. One is a lack of vision. People don't know why this matters or where we're going. So how can I be committed to nothing? Right? <laughs> Two is, I think, a lack of accountability. So people know that they can do whatever they want and it won't matter. So, that, I mean, a real practical example is we've said that part of being committed is that you show up to rehearsal on time. What I notice is that when I'm late, nothing nothing happens. Or that when others are late, nothing happens. And what's clear is we say this, but we don't mean it. And I think the, the third thing, lack of vision, lack of accountability, I think the third thing is lack of ownership. So people see this. I think this is actually a really big one. People see this as your thing and not their thing. So you have created a culture, whether you've meant to or not, that is so centered on you as the worship leader, you who book the team, you who plan the songs, you who lead the people. And everybody else is just there kind of playing second fiddle in your orchestra. Wow. And I think that the challenge with that is that no one gets that excited about something that they're not an owner in. Um, There's a huge difference between someone who uh, works at the coffee shop and the guy who owns the coffee shop, right? So what would it be like to intentionally create small moments where it's clear to your people that you see them as a corner of this thing that we're building together?
1: And how do you get people to shift to become owners? Like, what are some practical ways that you could actually get people to shift to become an owner in that?
0: Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, I think so much of that is, (laughs) well, I think it starts from within. I think it starts from, you actually have to decide that you're willing to let someone own a piece of what you could, practically speaking, you could very well decide, this is my thing and it's going to be about me and about my vision. I'm going to answer through the lens of what I said earlier, which is that I am a facilitator and a guide. I'd much rather ask you a question than give an answer. So even this is an interesting spot for me to be in, giving yeah. the answers, right? But I, I would answer the question by saying I think a great way to generate ownership is to ask questions. What do you think? What are you seeing? And it takes humility, right? It's it's moving from the assumption that I can look out at the congregation and know everything that there is to know, that my sensitivity to the Spirit is the only sensitivity that's needed. Yeah. But great leaders that have engendered ownership in me are the leaders that, that come to me and say, hey, Tony, what are, what are you sensing? What are you hearing? What are you noticing? And it flips my mindset in this unstated but really significant way where suddenly I'm realizing I matter in this equation yeah, And I actually get to have a voice in shaping where this goes. Now, I don't think that that means, on the flip side, sometimes I think we get overly literal with this kind of stuff, where it's like, cool, so from now on, everybody gets to pick their own song in the set. Yeah, that, that, That's different. Now you have actually released the authority that you've been given to lead. But I think you can give appropriate ownership when you show people, hey, the contribution that you're making really matters. And not only that, the way that you see it, your perspective is really significant.
1: That's good, man. So it's one thing to start with a blank canvas, you know, let's just say you're doing a church Mm -hmm. plant and you get to start with a blank canvas of building a culture. But what happens if you're, if you're a guy who comes into a church who has been around for 20 years and you're the new guy and the culture is just super unhealthy. Can an unhealthy culture actually be
0: changed? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I I like to believe redemptively that all (laughs) unhealthy things can be made healthy, right? Yeah. Um, I I think that the real answer to that question is yes, if uh, certain conditions are present. So I I really like to think in the lens of authority. What authority do you have? What authority don't you have? Um, What influence do you have? What don't you have? Um, so I think one of the, the big factors in shifting a culture from unhealthy to healthy is um, I think there has to be a willingness to name reality. Now, you can use influence that you have to lead in that direction, right? So if you're working under an executive pastor, a senior pastor, other leaders that just think everything's peachy, everything is great, but you see it different, um, sometimes your role is to name that and lead up with them. But ultimately, there has to be some willingness, both on your part and the part of others, to say, I'm not content with the way things are. I believe that something can and should be different. And sometimes that's the first role of any leader, specifically of a worship leader, when it comes to an unhealthy worship culture. Yeah. To be able to name with the team and even bless, hey, here's what's great about where we've been, but I see the potential for more, and I see some gaps, and I'd really like to work together. To go from where we are to yeah. where we can be, right? So I think that that's I think that that's step one: casting the vision. That's yeah, it's exactly right. Creating discontent in people that things actually aren't as great as they possibly could be. Yeah, and I, I think that the next step after that is really an acknowledgement that cultures take time. Cultures are living, breathing things. So. What that means is that it's going to take persistence on our part. Sometimes I think, again, we get this sense of I'm fired up about this and we're going to change it. We're going to take it from here to there and we're going to go in the next two weeks and then 14 days, 14 whole days goes by and we're left wondering, how can it not have changed already? I said, wasn't that verbal amazing? It's like, hey, I think I think we might need to take a longer view. And I think that um, if we can accept, hey, we're going to shift this culture slowly and steadily and honor persistence. Um, yeah, I do believe that cultures can change if we're willing to do the hard, consistent work to change them.
1: So let's use a very practical example that actually you brought up a couple minutes ago. And that is, and I bet this is something that people experience all the time. And yeah. it would be the unhealthy culture of people showing up to rehearsal late or yeah. not even coming, <laughs> not even showing up.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Because um, I'm sure yeah. that is something people experience and it frustrates leaders so much because they're like, what in the world? Like, people can't be on time. They're not showing up prepared or they're just like, you know, they're not taking rehearsal seriously. And you mentioned something a little bit ago about accountability of like, if you show people that there actually is no repercussions for that, people are just going to keep doing it. And that kind of keeps the process of unhealthy culture going. So what I would hear, I would be curious to hear from you, like, what would be an example of accountability in that kind of situation?
0: Yeah, I I think that that's really good. And I think that The key is needing to get clear within yourself, what am I actually asking people to do? And does it actually matter to me or not as the leader? And step one of that is, it's a funny example that I bring up showing up on time. I'm terrible at showing up on time. I work my hardest to be there on time. But the reality is that I'm going to be ineffective in leading by example in that way. So step one is um, have accountability with yourself. If I'm going to ask my team to do something, I better be doing it myself because that's the quickest way to burn trust. Hey, he says we should X, Y, Z, but then he or she doesn't ever do X, Y, Z. And not only have you lost accountability on that issue, you've actually burned a huge amount of trust with the people as a whole. So that said, assuming that you're doing the thing, that's a good point. um, I think it's two things. I think it's um number one setting the expectation. So not just hey guys it's important that we show up on time, but I think that I think a great leader, I've heard great leaders and at times have followed in their footsteps and done this myself said hey guys, um let's let's take the issue of not showing up at all. That one's probably more flagrant. It feels really clear. <laughs> hey guys, we have a rehearsal and it's on Thursdays at 7. Um now here's where it gets tricky and here's I think that one of the reasons that worship cultures get funky is that worship leaders are operating out of desperation or lack. They think that if this guitar player doesn't play on Sunday, that God won't be worshiped and that everything will fall through the cracks. And the reality is that I believe every worship leader has everything that they need within themselves to lead people in worship. And then at the same time, it can be supplemented as God provides other people to come along, right? So that's a mindset shift. So now let's take the example of this guitar player. They know about rehearsal on Thursday at seven. They don't tell you that they're not coming. In fact, they tell you that they are coming. Seven rolls around, 7.15, 7.30, send a couple texts. You finally get one back. Hey, man, so sorry. Something came up. I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. Well, ideally, what you've already established is, hey, just to be clear, rehearsal is mandatory. And what mandatory means is that if you can't make it to rehearsal, then you can't play on Sunday. And I'm not shaming you in that. And I'm not punishing you. It's just I need to hold us accountable to the expectation that we've set. The question is, for you as the worship leader, are you willing to do the hard work of, well, now we don't have a guitar player. Now I have a problem in order to champion and protect culture, which is we might not have a guitar player for this Sunday, but I'm not going to let this slide because it's a big enough deal to me or it's not. But just be clear that if it's not that big of a deal to you, rehearsal is not actually mandatory. So what I'm saying in that is, is not necessarily that it has to be one way or another. Yeah. It's just let's be honest about what's going on and let's be really clear with our people about what the expectations and what the results are on both sides.
1: That is such a good point cuz a lot of times we can let accountability slide cuz we're like, well, we need a guitar player so I'll just let him play.
0: But totally. it doesn't
1: but it's not the best thing for the long run.
0: That that's exactly right. It's a short that's a great way to put it. Matt. It's a short-term win, it's a long-term loss in a huge way.
1: Yeah. So, another example and I think it goes along it's same thing with rehearsal. 'Cause this this is where it also gets kind of funky, is when right. let's just say you say, Okay, everybody rehearsals at seven o'clock. Yeah. And the bass player rolls in at, you know, seven o'clock, sets up, <laughs> and he just stands there for about thirty minutes waiting for everybody else to set up all their gear, do sound check, and he's just standing there. Well then and that's because maybe you aren't running a sound check effectively, or maybe everyone yep. else is running late. Then yep. what happens is the bass player next time is like, you know what? I just stood around for thirty minutes. I'm going to show up at seven thirty next time.
0: So that's really great. (laughs) It's like, how do
1: you balance all of that? You know, you've got different people. You know, you have a guy who maybe did faithfully show up, like absolutely, when he should have. But then we didn't honor his time when he was there.
0: That's yeah, that's right. And I think the most critical moment is once everybody does show up and gets plugged in. What do you do? Because I see a lot of worship leaders, they handle that moment. And just candidly, they're avoiding conflict. They don't want to have the hard conversation. So they go, all right, guys, we're kind of running behind. Let's I think that that's the wrong call. I think once again, you have abdicated your responsibility of leadership in that moment. And I think what the right call is, is some version of in a way that feels authentic to you, some version of, hey, guys, I, I need us to have a chat really quick. Mike was here at seven o'clock, and I'm really grateful that he was. But we actually wasted his time and we wasted the time of other volunteers we have an expectation that rehearsal starts at 7. So I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not frustrated. Right. But we need to get clear on this. Rehearsal does start at 7. So my expectation is that you show up at 6.45 or 6.30 so that you can do what you need to do to get ready. Yeah. Are we all clear on that? Yeah, And then I think that there's a 2.0, and it keeps happening, and it will. we got to have that conversation again, and now it needs to be even clear. Hey, I, I really need us to think about this, and here's what's going to happen yeah. from now on if you show up late. And sometimes, I mean, you can have fun with it. You don't have to turn into a drill sergeant. I know worship leaders that show up late to rehearsal and you've got to do a push-up for every minute that you're late in front of everybody and everybody counts it out. But I think you can have fun with it, but there has to be some acknowledgement of we set something as a culture. We set an expectation. Someone has violated it. we <laughs> acknowledge them. they right.
1: All right. So we've talked about culture as far as practicality of like rehearsal, showing up prepared, listening to the songs, that kind of thing. But what about on a spiritual like fundamental level of like why we're even doing what we're doing like how can you get a team to understand why they're even leading worship (laughs) (sighs) yeah (laughs) because that's the more pastoral side of things
0: totally yeah that's really good well and i think when i think about that i think about my journey what may have been your journey for all of us on how we came to understand what it is to lead worship And I I don't think that this is universally true. I think in our culture, there's been a shift where corporate worship is taking more of a prominent role in the culture of, in mainstream culture and specifically in Christian culture. But for a lot of us, for a lot of years, the reason that we started as musicians is not because we wanted to be worship leaders. I know I meet young guys today who are 13 and they're like, I want to be a worship leader. So I started learning the guitar. That's not why I started learning how to play the guitar. I started learning how to play the guitar because I wanted to be in some famous rock band and I wanted to like meet cool people and travel the world. And over time, God took this thing that I had developed and said, hey, have another way that you can use this. So I think that there needs to be some empathy that a lot of the musicians that are standing on stage with you are standing there with the same guitar that they learned how to play so that they could tour the world on a cool stage, just like they always hoped they'd be on, under cool lights, just like they always hoped they'd be under. And somehow we're expecting them, without having made any effort on our part, for them to understand, hey, this isn't about you, and here's what it's about, and here are the theological implications. So I think we have to, we have to start by going like, hey, get It makes sense. It's not bad on you that you wanted that, and I'm grateful that you're here. But given that all of the, those other pieces, all those components are the same, I have to work extra hard and consistently, again, to shift the perspective to go, hey, this isn't actually about you. And and that thing of you standing on the stage and people cheering you on, I know that this looks a lot like that and, and could even feel like that, but actually it's the exact opposite. But I think it's a beautiful place where we can teach our teams just the nature of the kingdom of God. I mean, it's so upside down. You learn to play this guitar hoping that people would adore you. And what's actually happened is it's been flipped and now you're playing the guitar so that people adore someone else, someone greater than you, so that you can adore someone greater than you. And I think that the important piece of that is just talking about it on a consistent basis. The other thing I would say is, and again, I'll go back to questions, because that's this is some of the way that I would do it, but I think that there's probably a lot of ways to do it. The way that I like to do it is after a worship set, uh, every worship culture is different, but the ones that I've often seen, um, rhythm is play the worship set, go back into the green room or or wherever. Um, We all sit down, and we just start hanging out, start talking about whatever, which is great. There's a relational piece to that. At some point, I think there's a huge opportunity for a worship leader to go, hey guys, how'd that go for you? Like, what, what was your sense? How'd you feel about it? We only ask that when it didn't go as we hoped. We always ask it. Just how'd it go? What's your sense? And that's a great, that goes back to the ownership piece. And what I often find is that when you start asking that question, people say, you know, I thought it was good, but the bridge of what a beautiful name felt a little sloppy, and we're, we're just talking music. Yeah, right. And I think that's the opportunity where you go, yeah, totally makes sense. I felt that too. Let's do this. But what did you sense in the congregation or any sense of what God was doing or anything that we could do different next time to invite people into a deeper place of worship? And the first couple of times you ask that question, if your people aren't used to it, you will get a lot of silence and a lot of furrowed eyebrows. And that's okay because you've just invited people to look differently. And what I love about that is, I think that's a, a better invitation even than me preaching at you about, hey guys, here's what we're doing. It's all about Jesus. And because instead what I've done is I flipped it and I put it in the form of a question where now you have to wrestle through that on your own. And I'm inviting you to go as far as you're ready to go.
1: Bro, that is so good. Mm-hmm. That is excellent. Because you're right, it does, it does flip it. It gets them thinking, huh. Because you're right, the first time you do that, they'd probably be like, what the heck is he talking about? Totally. But it lets them start to own it. And start to yeah. ask the same question of like, yeah, actually, what, what am I doing on stage that maybe could help people engage in worship more? Exactly right. Um, exactly right.
0: And they self-discover it, which I believe leads to deeper ownership in and of itself. Again, rather than me telling you what you ought to be doing, yeah. you realized yourself, oh, if I ask that question, that leads me to way different places than the questions I've been asking, yeah. which are... What's my guitar tone like? Do I look cool? Which are, by the way, really human questions, and yeah. I think we need to have room for that too.
1: It makes me think of that old saying that's a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Where yes. yeah, self discovery. I is, love that. Is it's imp- like finding it out on their own is good. They're going to remember that forever. I remember at one point in my worship ministry, I was on staff at a church. I remember after worship, we had this idea where we were like, you know what? Why do we always we pray before worship? and then we like lead worship and then we're like dispersed and we're gone and we go hang out in the green room or whatever. And we thought, why don't we actually pray after worship and just thank God I for like what he did and like ask him like for strength for the next service or like to give us ideas on like, Hey, how to change the next service to, but it was like, we like, we always pray before worship. We should just pray after and just be like, God, thank you so much for that. That was, was awesome. Thanks for what you did in the lives of people. And
0: I love that. And it, it feels it feels like it invites us to really mean what we prayed before. Yeah. Like it wasn't just like, we, well, it seems like we should pray. We're going to do like Christian stuff. Right. Yeah. Which is, I mean, if we're being really honest, that might be a harsh way to say it, but I think that it can feel like that for some of our team members. I think to pray after it's really like, wow, this was a really sincere connection with a real God. Who's a real person who really cares. Yeah. And again, that's another place where one of the things that we haven't fleshed out yet, but culture is built on values. And values can be aspirational or they can be actual. And I think what you're getting at is a really great example of how we move from an aspirational value, which is we have a value for deep and intimate connection with God, to an actual value of, well, if that's true, then doesn't it make sense to also do this? And it really affects people. People can sense that. So
1: if there's a worship leader listening to this now and they're just like, oh gosh, I'm in like way over my head. I want to improve the culture, but I just don't know where to even begin. Are there any, like, just practical tips you'd say, like, hey, start here? (laughs) If you want to, like, start improving the culture with your team, upping the commitment level, upping the heart level, is there any, like, good starting places?
0: (sighs) Yeah, that's really good. And, I mean, I I don't want to make wild assumptions about where that listening worship leader is at, right? But I think I would say two things. One is just get an hour by yourself, and take an inventory of where things are at. What's going right? What's not going so right? What questions am I asking? That kind of thing. You know, we talked about life plan earlier. That's foundational place. We start with every life plan, just asking a couple of key questions to go, where am I at today? Just doing that on its own can surface, you'll be amazed at the perspective that comes out if you actually just slow down and write it out. And think about the culture specifically. Again, what's healthy? What do I love about our culture? What am I concerned about, about our culture? And I think that that would surface, again, some specific next steps. A couple general ideas that I think are just good ideas are things like take a moment at the start of every rehearsal, not only to pray, but to to just speak for a second about, hey guys, here's where we're going today. Really simple, not long-winded. You don't need to prepare a sermon. In fact, you probably shouldn't prepare a sermon. But just, hey guys, the flow of the set today is really leading us to this place, And I've just been thinking a lot about this particular line in this song. It's really grabbing me. And I'd love to know even from you, just as we're going through rehearsal today, what you're sensing. Is there a lyric that we sing that stands out to you? I don't know. I just love to keep the conversation going. I don't think it needs to be this big, epic, take the hill moment. It could be simple and earnest. Um, And just inviting people, again, to consider what are they noticing. And that's probably a a straightforward next step. If, If all this feels overwhelming... A simple question you can ask is, "Hey, what what lyric that we sang today was standing out to you?"
1: Wow, yeah, that's good. It's just inviting them into it. Yeah, and it's not even that hard. It's really just asking questions and letting yes. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like you have to preach or anything, or reprimand or anything like that. It's just asking questions, providing the opportunity in the moments for them to buy in.
0: Well, and and I love that. Um, Again, so much of my passion in this season of life is really rooted around that. Two thoughts I have on that. One is equally effective in the context of a worship set leading a congregation, by the way, at least I think it is. Yeah. Sometimes we feel like we need to deliver the aha, and I think the Holy Spirit is waiting to deliver the unique aha for every individual person, and our role is actually just to invite them to be open enough to hear yep. what the Holy Spirit is saying, Right. and so if that's true— what more powerful thing to lead to openness than a question? Like, And it can be as simple as, hey, where are you at today? Yeah, right. Or, hey, if you could ask God for one thing and, and know that he'd give it to you, what would you ask him for? What are you needing from him? Right. Yeah, and and let, let the Holy Spirit do them. the aha. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. The other thing I would say that jumps out to me is like, I love that you called it out. I mean, it's just as simple as asking questions, it, like not some brilliant idea that I came up with or that we came up with. And actually – like this is the way that Jesus so often met people where they were. And I think of him saying, "Who who do you say that I am?" He doesn't give this long winded sermon about who he is and all the greatness of who he is. He says, "Who does everybody else say?" Yeah. It's, it's masterful. I I love this moment. Yeah. Who does everybody else say? Okay. Interesting. I'm not sure where you're going. You know, who do you say? It's amazing. Right. It is. So amazing. yeah, I think there's power. There's power in a question for sure.
1: Man, well, I probably have like 20 other questions I could ask you, but, bro, this has been so good, and I think this gives a lot, of, mm. a lot of good thoughts for worship leaders to chew on, and I appreciate your heart for worship leaders and worship ministry, and I've appreciated your friendship over the years, and thanks for joining us on this, man.
0: Dude, absolutely the same, and, and truly love the culture that you're building with Loop. I think it's really incredible the way that you're trying to serve the church as a whole through serving worship leaders, so thanks for having thanks, me on. Man.
1: Hey, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that?
0: Yeah, probably the easiest way to grab me is just on Instagram. My uh, handle is at Tony, T-O-N-Y, Sorrentino, S-O-R-R-E-N-T-I-N-O. You can look me up there and love if you shoot me a message. Thanks for having me on. super fun.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Loop Community Podcast. Music from this episode is brought to you by John Guerra from his album, Little Songs. Make sure you check it out on Apple Music or Spotify. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, leave a review and a rating. It means a lot. We'll see you soon.